say thank you to our Heavenly Father for being such a perfect Father in every way. Father, today we thank you. We've sung about you. We love you. We thank you for the life that you've given us. And we thank you for the peace you so freely bring into our lives. We thank you for it's a peace that passes understanding. It guards our hearts and it guards our minds in amidst all of the variances of life. We thank you that it's your peace that keeps us planted in the place where you want us to be. We thank you that it's perfect peace. We thank you, Lord, that as we center our minds on you, you say, he whose mind is stayed on Jehovah is kept in perfect peace. And Lord, we readily admit sometimes it is so, so difficult to keep our mind focused on you. We'll openly say it, Lord, our mind wanders here, there, and everywhere and reaches all kinds of different conclusions. But Lord, we thank you for the help of your Holy Spirit who is so ready to help us get our mind back on you. Doesn't criticize us, doesn't condemn us, but lovingly and warmly comes when we are on the floor with our mind in pieces, torn and ripped apart. Pick it, picks up the pieces and centers our thoughts again on you, Lord. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your help. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your comfort. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've never failed us. You've never left us alone in this world. But we thank you. We can stay our minds. We can keep our minds on you because of the power of the Holy Spirit that works within us so wonderfully. And as a result of that, we're kept in perfect peace. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Why don't we, church, give him a wonderful praise this morning? Come on, church. We're on the winning side. Hallelujah. Woo! Fantastic. You may be seated. Amen. God is good. Life is hard sometimes, but God is good. He really is. Isn't it great to have Pastor Ray home with us today? Come on. Let's welcome Pastor Ray with us. Absolutely wonderful to have him home with us. And he's going to be with us for the next few weeks, I think. One week before he travels. And uh, I'm telling you, Pastor Ray has got an itinerary and a half. So we, we welcome Pastor Ray. And it's so wonderful to have him, to have him here this morning with us. This morning, I just want to encourage you and continue on uh, what we've been looking at over the last few months in relation to trusting God, trusting God. Sometimes when we go through life and when we go through various experiences, sometimes it seems difficult to trust God. When life is hitting you with all of its facts, when life is hitting you with 
all of its various situations, sometimes it's easy to take our eyes off the one who they should be fixed upon and to begin to look and consider and and think about all of the worries and the cares that seem to beset us and oppose us. But as a result of Jesus being in our lives, in every one of our lives, if we've accepted him, we have to realize that all of us, every single one of us in this room, has a wonderful reservoir within us, an ability to trust the Lord. You don't have to work it up. You don't have to stoke it up. You don't even have to stir it up. It's there as a result of Jesus Christ being in your life. It's there. It's a rich, rich deposit within you as a result of the Holy Spirit living in you. It really is. You don't have to look around inside trying to find it. When life comes and it hits you hard, when circumstances come and face you that you don't have any answers for, there's a deposit within you, a trust deposit, a faith deposit, as a result of Jesus and the Holy Spirit residing within you that comes and stands up in amidst all of the trials of life and enables you To lock into God and lock into his word and trust him when you can't trace him in the circumstances of life that seem to come your way. You know, around these buildings that that the church owns, this building in particular and the other building, there's lots of different doors requiring all different kinds of keys. If you want to get through certain doors in this building and in the other building that King's Church owns, you're going to have to have a particular key to get through each door. If you turn up before one door with the wrong key, the door's going to remain closed. It's going to remain locked. You have to have the right key for the right door. And, you know, if you go into Russell's office, you will see literally hundreds of keys on his desk. Each key has a function. Each key has a purpose for its own door. But there is a key. There is a key, one key, that opens the majorities of doors in this building and in the building across the road. It's called the master key. The master key, when you hold the master key in your hand, you don't have to have all of the other hundreds of keys on Russell's desk. You can use just one key to get through the majorities, the majority of doors in this building and in the building across the road. When you hold the master key, it opens all doors. When you hold the master key of trust in your hand... Any door that stands in your way, any obstacle that comes before you, you're going to go on through it. Not because you're clever or because you have the ability to go beyond it, but because you're holding the key that opens every door. You're you're, you're holding the key in your hand that breaks through every obstacle. When you, from your spirit, Have the master key in your hand that trusts God when you can't trace him. The obstacle is not going to be a conclusion on your life. It's just going to be a means on through into another season, into another dimension of freedom and life. And every single one of us here has been given that master key. 
Every single one of us here has been given that ability to trust God. When life gets hard, when the going gets tough, when things happen that we don't understand, we can trust Him in amidst all of the variances of life. Last week we began by reading from 1 Samuel chapter 30. And there we began to read about probably one of the worst days in David's life. David was renowned for slaying Goliath the giant. We all know him as the giant slayer. We all know David as Israel's champion. We all know David as as Israel's victor. In their moment of need, in their moment of darkness, in their moment of great humiliation where all of the armies of Israel were running continually for 40 days and 40 nights as Goliath stood on the battlefield. They were on their back in fear and it was David, this young shepherd boy, that stood up with this master key of trust in the Lord. When, when everybody was, was, was falling away through fear because they did not realize that they had available to them the same access to the same Lord that David had relationship with. And David, in the moment of humiliation in the nation, stands up with this simple key of trust and he takes his sling and he goes onto the battlefield and he has an amazing victory. He slays Goliath and the Philistines that had been so stubborn, the Philistines that had seen, that, that had opposed Israel for so long, the Philistines that had come with their threats to defy the armies of God and defeat them were running before their very eyes as a result of the faith of one kid who held this master key of trust in the Lord. I'm telling you now, one is a majority with God. When you believe God simply, when you, when you access this reservoir of trust in your heart, when there may be a circumstance that is so stubborn, a crisis that is so immovable, when you go to your knees and you say, oh God, please help me. Oh God, please get me through. Oh God, please move me on through this season. I'm telling you now that prayer of faith and trust and desperation does not go on deaf ears. It really doesn't. God hears our prayers. God knows our needs before we name any one of them. And David has huge success. And everybody wants the success that David enjoyed for a moment. Everybody wants the success and the notoriety and the public acclaim of slaying a giant, but nobody wants the consequences of such a victory and such success and such victory can conclude in exile and defeat and darkness as it did for this young lad he just served the nation he just he just been true to God and 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 true to 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 what he believed and suddenly he's ousted out of the land by King Saul and as I mentioned last week he's on the run for four years Running into caves, hiding behind hedges, keeping his head low. Men are coming to David who want to be loyal to him. He's got 600 men with him by the end of it all. 
And then suddenly in 1 Samuel, I'll read it to you. 1 Samuel 27. If I can find it. 1 Samuel 27. Listen. 1 Samuel 27 verse 1. At the end of four years of running for his life. At the end of four years of just trying to get through every day without fear. Trying to just hold on to God. Trying to just keep singing in the dark of night. At the end of it all. At the end of the four years where Saul won't back off or back down. David comes to this conclusion in 1 Samuel 27 verse 1. It says this. But David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel and I will slip out of his hand. This is the kid that slew Goliath. This is Israel's champion. This is the man that stood on the field. Who wrought great victory. Who rode huge success. Who was the people's champion. The people's hero. But after four years of unrelenting battle. After four years of unrelenting pain. His heart breaks. And he can't hold it back any longer. And he says, I fear that one day my heart, my life will suffer at the hand of King Saul. And he concludes, the only way through this is to go into the land of the Philistines. And he crosses the border from Israel into the land of the Philistines. And now he's in another season He's in another place of life and he's suspicious and he's struggling, but God's still with him. God's not going to let him go because David has the master key, the, the master key of trust. And, and, and even though his fears have has led him into a place where he never thought he would go, God has never left him. God is still with him. And David goes into the land of the Philistines. He, he ends up as I said, in Gath, the hometown of Goliath, the giant he'd slain just years before. What a crazy situation when David took Goliath's head off. Did he ever think that he would ever be standing in Gath, the city of the giant that he just killed? But isn't it funny how life changes? Isn't it funny that sometimes things happen that we would never expect would happen? But I'm telling you now, it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what, what comes our way. The Lord is for you. He's not against you. And therefore, if he is for you, you're more than a conqueror through Christ. And David's in a situation he never thought he would be in. But the strange thing is, even amidst this strange environment that he's in now, living in the land of the enemy... Achish the king begins to have favor on him. Achish the king begins to be entertained by David. And as a result of him being in the land of the Philistines, he shows him kindness. Saul is enraged by David. Saul is hunting him down. 
But Akash has opened his arms to him. Akash is being kind to him. And as time moves on, he actually gives him a city called Ziklag. And this place of Ziklag is where David begins to settle. David settles there. At last, maybe he thought, I've got a future. It's in Ziklag. At last, maybe he thought, we can build homes here. They had homes there. They raised their families there. Their, their wives and their children grew up there. And he was in Ziklag, in the land of the Philistines, settled for probably 16 months. And then returning from a visit one day with King Akesh, he's traveled or traveling back to Ziklag, and he sees it burnt to the ground. 1 Samuel chapter 30 shows us this terrible incident in David's life, probably the worst, the worst time of his life. The future that he thought he had is now suddenly in rubbles. It's laid waste before him. The future that he was building, the security that he thought he had, suddenly all came crashing down as the Amalekites had raided their city and left with their wives and children. And the Bible tells us when they, they got into that place, they, they, they wept bitterly and they wept to the point until they could weep no more. They had no power left to cry. They suddenly came to the place of, of utter desperation. The Bible says that from this desperation, David's men began to look at him. And they concluded that they had to blame David and they were actually going to stone David and kill him. And at that mo moment, the Bible says that David was greatly distressed. Greatly distressed. His men, his men's great distress had led them to become despondent. When you become despondent as a result of great distress. You can't see anything beyond where you are. You can't see anything beyond the crisis and the circumstance and the problem and the hellishness of life. You can't see anything beyond it. Your distress causes you to be despondent because God is no longer in the equation and in the calculation of your mind. His men were despondent, greatly distressed. And the only person that they could blame, the only person they could go after was David. David, feeling this great distress, like his men, didn't allow despondency to get into his heart. He looked at the crisis. The crisis was real. The fact that the, the, the city was burned and their future and their welfare was over, was very apparent before all of them. But David's great distress lay, led him to a greater place of dependency on God. And today we may be in situations that have caused us great distress, whether those things are from our past, issues in our lives, that we can't get rid of, 
issues in our lives that we have tried to overcome and yet they still rise up and they still haunt us and they still plague us and they're still very aggressive and violent, taking our peace away. Today we may be in a place of great distress, but thank God because of that master key of trust that Jesus has given every one of us. Our distress does not end in despondency. We see beyond the circumstances. We see beyond the crises. We see beyond the difficulties of the darkness of the storm. Because the distresses of life enable us to have a deeper, a deeper dependency on God. David, in this terrible moment of distress did something incredible. The Bible says that he strengthened himself in the Lord. He encouraged himself in God. When his village, his city was burning, when ash was all around him, when his family were taken from him, he centered himself again in the one that would never fail him was it here where David found the Lord to be an ever-present help in times of trouble was it here where David writes about in Psalm 42 why are you downcast O my soul trusting God hoping God And suddenly in the lowest moment, in the darkest day of David's life, there's hope arising in his heart. There's hope arising in his soul. Your distress can be your greatest friend when it leads you to a greater place of dependency. Do you know all of us, We want to boast about how dependent we are upon God, don't we? Oh, I'm dependent on God. I trust God. But sometimes, in order to gain a deeper dependency on God, we have to go through great distress. I don't want to go through great distress. (laughs) My God, I'm telling you now. But the giants of faith, are people who have gone through great distress. David's brothers stood in line in Jesse's house, all hoping for Samuel the prophet to anoint their head. He missed every single one of them, and the anointing went on David's head because God knew that the kid would go through anything and trust him. God knew that he would go and slay a a giant Goliath. And even when the whole nation wouldn't appreciate him anymore and kicked him out of the land and exiled him into the wilderness and exiled him as an enemy, God knew because of the anointing on his head and the simplicity of his heart and the simplicity of, of his life and the uncluttered nature of his spirit, God knew that David would always appreciate 
appreciate him as Lord, even when the people turned on him, even when his own brethren turned on him. David, God knew, would praise him. He said, what do you say? <laughs> he said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. Come on, church. That anointing that was on David is on you too. And it'll get you through every crisis, every trial, every difficulty. The Bible tells us that there is an anointing that abides within us whereby we have no need that any man teach us concerning anything. For the anointing will teach us concerning all things. You have all of the answers inside of you. He's called the Holy Spirit. He's called the anointing. And when you come up against an obstacle, when you come up against a trial, when you come up against a dark hour that you don't think that you're going to get through, the anointing will speak to you. I tell you now, God is not a chatterbox, but when he needs to speak to you, when you're in a corner, you can guarantee one thing. God is going to speak to you. God is going to get you through because he's for you and he's not against you. He's not going to come out with a lot of flat chatter, an endless stream of words to fill your head. He's going to speak to you and you're going to trust him and you're going to go on through as you believe his word. David encouraged himself in the Lord. And then he asked the Lord a question and he said, shall I pursue these Amalekites who have done this to me? And God, I love it. You know, there's no emotion here with God. There's just direction. David's just cried his heart out. Great distress tears until they can cry no more and God just gives simple direction pursue them you'll recover everything and leaves it with him over to you now David over to you but David was a man who listened David was a man that held to the word of God and followed it and the Bible says that they pursued the Amalekites. They overcame them and they recovered everything. They recovered everything. Let me read this to you from Proverbs chapter 3. It may make sense in relation to what we're speaking about. David's son, King Solomon, writes these words and maybe he learned them from his dad. You learn a lot from your dad. I've learned a lot from my dad. I tell you, when you watch your dad and when you see your dad face life and lead a church and lead a, a ministry that touches the world and you see your dad go through crisis and circumstance and navigate through the issues of life with trust and faith, holding a master key to get through every door, you think, how does he do it? You learn a lot from your dad. And maybe Solomon learned this from his dad. Solomon says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He shall direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Let's leave that scripture just there a minute. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. It's so hard because there's a, a war between our head and our heart. Our head says one thing, but the Lord is trying to speak something else into our heart. Our heart says something else. And there's a conflict and a war. But David had learned as a young man not to trust God or to try and find God with his head. David as a young man and even as a grown man as, and as an aged king knew how to trust God with all of his heart. He wasn't a man that leaned on his understanding. If he'd have leaned on his understanding when Ziklag was burnt and as, as a pile of ash, he'd have never gone beyond into everything that God wanted him to go into. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to close in a minute. A number of years ago, Faye and I, well, it was a long time ago now, actually. We were visiting a place called Leeds Castle. Don't know if anybody's ever been there. In Kent. Really nice place. Lots of grounds around the castle. And we walked and we enjoyed the day there. But in the center of the grounds, there's a maze. And I can remember, you know, going with Faye, entering that maze... And when we went in, we were really confident that we were going to get to the end and go through. We were excited, running around, thinking that we knew our way through the maze. And it's an amazing, it's an amazing maze. The hedge growth is huge. Towers right over your head, so you can't see beyond where you are. So you walk into the maze and suddenly you're in a complex corridor of little paths. And they're going everywhere. And before you know it, you're having to make multiple choice after multiple choice. You're going left, you're going right, you're going forwards, you're going backwards. But you're always on the move trying to get to the end of the maze. And you know, we went in and we were having fun. But after an hour of trying to get through the maze and trying to get to the end... You're in a confused state. And literally, you don't even know your way back to the beginning. You're so deep in the maze that you're confused because everything looks the same. There's just hedge growth and path all around you. And I thought, man, I don't know how long it's going to take to get out of this. And then I saw a little sign. On the path. And it said, if lost, which we were, look up and ask for help. Simple little sign. If lost, 
Look up and ask for help. So I look up and all of a sudden, in the middle of a maze, there's a man sitting right in the center on a tall ladder. Now that had escaped, that had escaped my attention. I hadn't seen that from the excitement of going into the maze and then making choice after choice of trying to get through the maze and get to the, to the end. That, that had escaped my, my attention. This person sat in the middle of the maze. But when we got lost and we started to wonder how we were going to get through, we looked down and we saw a little sign. If lost, look up and ask for help. So, right there, in the middle of the maze, in Leeds Castle, holding face hand, I said, excuse me. And the man looked. I said, we seem to be lost. And he just graciously smiled. I said, you couldn't help us, could you? We want to get to the end, but we don't know which way to take. Because of his elevated position, he could look and have overview over the entirety of the maze. And through four simple little instructions, through four simple little adjustments, we got through to the maze. But we had to call for help. We had to trust the instruction of another. We had to put our trust in the direction of somebody that we didn't know. And just through a series of little, little choices, we were out at the end of the maze. Maybe today, just like David, you're in a complex maze. And you're saying, God, I should be out of this maze by now. I walked into this thinking it was only going to take a month. I walked into this thinking that my set, of, my set of values and my set of decisions and my confession was going to get me through this in, in just a little while. But now it's been prolonged, Lord. It's been prolonged. It's taken year after year after year. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. There's somebody in the center of the maze of your circumstance. There's somebody in the center of the maze of your crisis. His name is Jesus. And with his word and with his direction, he will bring you through a set of circumstances and through a series of decisions. And you'll come on through just like David, just like David did. You, you may say, but it's been so long. It was long for David. Four years chased by Saul. A further four years banished to the land of the Philistines. And at the end of it all, Ziklag, the city that he put his future in, that he put his trust in, was burning to the ground. Listen, the Christian life is a strange life, my friends. You can't just, you know, fit it all on a page. It's a journey with God. It's a journey with God. It really is. 
And we don't know where that journey will take us. But I'm telling you now, come what may, he who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what the devil tries to do. It doesn't matter what people try to do. It doesn't matter what people say about you. It's what God says about you that counts. And at the end of it all, through the highs and the lows of David's life, he was a man that served God and served his purpose in his generation and was renowned as a man after God's own heart. The maze, the maze of life, circumstance, leaves us confused. But he brings you through. David recovers everything. Why did God allow Ziklag to burn? Why? Why? Because God, really simple answer. Because God didn't want David to live in Ziklag. Simple answer. Why is God bringing such a great season to an end? Because God doesn't want you to live in that season. Why is God closing this situation down? Because God wants to bring you into a bigger blessing. Because God wants to bring you into a bigger dimension in Him. David's future wasn't in Ziklag. David's future was in the kingdom that God wanted to give him. And two days later, after seeing Ziklag burnt... David was the new king of Judah. You talk about a change in circumstance. You talk about a change in a situation in a man's life from utter defeat, from utter despair, from utter desperation, from utter tragedy to triumphs and victory. God can do anything. And what the enemy means for evil, God means for good. And he's true to his word. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you, God. Lord, we pray today that you would help us to trust you with all of our hearts. Oh, God, it's so hard not to lean on our own understanding. Sometimes. But you know that. You know it's hard for us. But, Lord, we thank you. Holy Spirit, you're the one that helps us. You're the one that guides us. You're the one. You are the master key to every lock. You are the master key to every obstacle. To bring us on through into everything that you've planned for our lives, Lord. Father, I pray right now. Maybe you're here today and you've never asked Jesus into your life. And life is a maze, man. You're lost in it. I was lost in the maze of life. Lost, completely lost. Going here, going there, back and forth, zigzagging around in life, no direction. And then somebody said to me, hey, Dave, look up. There's somebody in the middle of the maze. There's somebody in the middle of the maze. His name is Jesus. He wants to come alongside you. He wants to bring you on through this life maze that you're in. And as a 15-year-old kid, I reached out, trusted, 
and prayed a simple broken prayer that didn't sound very good at all, that was filled with snot and tears. But God heard it and God responded to it and God gave me a peace in my heart that's never left. Maybe today, you're here today and you'd like to ask Jesus into your life. Please give me the honor today to pray for you. Give me the honor of praying for you to ask Jesus into your life. While heads, while heads, heads are bowed and eyes are closed, quietly in your heart, say this. Say, Jesus, I want to trust you today. I want to ask you to come into my life to hold my hand to lead me through the maze of living I ask you please take away my sin my shame wash me thank you for peace Thank you for a new life inside. Amen. Now, while eyes are closed, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, would you lift your hand up right now? That's it. Well done, Alan. That's it, mate. Is there any, that's it, Paul. Is there anybody else? Hands at the back. Don't be afraid you prayed that prayer. Asking Jesus into your heart thank you Father Amen Amen let's stand to our feet church we're going to sing Lord Jesus I thank you for your peace that passes understanding on every heart here Lord I thank you that we're not alone that you brought us together as brothers and sisters to encourage one another to stand by one another amidst all of the variances and trials of life and to trust you in all things we trust you we thank you Jesus we praise you come on church let's sing